Hi, this is Regaline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to Walk With Me Podcast. My guest today is Thesea Jenkins. She's an independent trainer and coach, and also she has been featured in the Oprah Winfrey Network reality show, The Book of John Gray, as an expert on sexual violence. Welcome to the show, Thesea. Hi, how are you today? Fantastic. It's such an honor to have you here today. Now, why don't you start off by telling us more about you and where you are from? All right, Gigi. Well, I am here in the great state of Texas. I live in Houston, and for six years I have had the amazing opportunity uh, to work in the field of domestic violence. Uh, my work has been around uh, providing training for law enforcement officers, healthcare providers, and those in social services, as well as the healthcare. And my role is working with professionals so that they can be able to recognize on and refer survivors of domestic and sexual violence for services. And along the way of doing this work, about maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I began also to do some independent consulting and training around emotional intelligence and other leadership skills. Because in working with survivors of domestic violence, uh, when I first started doing this work, uh, I actually came on board with a shelter to provide job readiness training for survivors of domestic violence. And in doing that work, I realized the importance of self-esteem, self-confidence, self-efficacy. As I continued to work with the survivors, I you know, recognized how important it was to be able to show up and to sell yourself, to sell yourself as far as being able to get a job, being able to be confident and starting your life over after a major setback. And so I began to do training around uh, emotional intelligence and then began to branch out and do some training and consulting with other nonprofits to provide leadership training for their staff. So that's, in a nutshell, that's really about me. And uh, I have a quote that I love and it's uh, by Ruby Payne. And it very simply says that no significant learning occurs without a relationship. No significant learning occurs without a relationship. So I'd like to think that the last 26 years of my work around violence against women, preventing it and intervening, and the work that I do with uh, working with other nonprofits and law enforcement with their leadership development is really about creating relationship. That is absolutely incredible. Now, you mentioned domestic violence. Let, let's talk about domestic violence for a moment. When you and I chatted behind the scenes here, we, we, we spoke about the power and control wheel. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Definitely. And just as a side note for those who are watching and will watch the replay, uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I believe most people, when we ask what is the significance of October, we automatically think about breast cancer, which is extremely important. Also, there is another issue that impacts women's lives, and that is domestic violence. So October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And the power and control wheel that you see here is a tool that was created by the Duluth Project out of Duluth, Minnesota. And the whole purpose of this is that this is a tool to help people to understand what domestic violence is about. Uh, often when we think of domestic violence, we think of someone who has been physically assaulted. So we think about black eyes and broken arms and things of that nature. However, here is the reality is about one in four women on a national basis will experience domestic violence in their lifetime and about one in seven men will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. And many of those individuals will not be physically assaulted. However, 
they will be trapped in a relationship. And many times people will say, well, why doesn't she just leave? You know, if I had a dollar for every time I'd heard that, I'd be a billionaire. Um, so the power and control wheel really helps us to understand the dynamics of what is happening in an abusive relationship. And so very briefly, uh, there are eight tactics that abusers use to gain power and control. And that's what domestic violence is really about. Domestic violence is a pattern of behavior used by a person in an intimate relationship to gain power and control through the use of verbal and emotional abuse, sexual abuse, uh, and yes, physical abuse and even spiritual abuse. So just very briefly, what you see here with this power and control will, power and control is at the center of it, correct? And then it is surrounded by these behaviors, tactics that be abusers use to gain power and control over the victim in that relationship. What those things are is verbal and emotional abuse, constantly telling someone, well, I don't care if you are the CEO of a company, you're still stupid. You know, if people really knew who you were, they wouldn't even let you operate on them. And I'm very clear about using these examples because I wanna dispel the myth that domestic violence is about individuals who live in poverty. Domestic violence is an equal opportunity provider. Uh, here in Houston, about three or four years ago, there was a physician, actually a surgeon who was killed by her abusive partner when she tried to leave him and she was world renowned as a surgeon. So that verbal and emotional abuse where a person is constantly being denigrated and uh, just having bad things said to them. So that's verbal and emotional abuse. Isolation is another tactic that abusers use. And with isolation, that's where the abuser uh, does things to take the victim survivor away from family and friends, such as maybe saying, uh, your parents have never liked me. So no, we're not going to go over there for Thanksgiving. Uh, I think you're having an affair with your father. Yes, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. So that the survivor then stops hanging out with family and friends. Why? In order to keep the peace at home. So very slowly, they begin to lose a support system. Then we have intimidation. And intimidation is where the abuser may simply just give them a look. Yeah, like that. And are maybe throwing something against the wall. Uh, there's a, the movie on Netflix now, Made. Uh, there's several incidents where this movie really highlights the, the verbal abuse and the intimidation that happens in a relationship. So imagine having a conversation with your partner and all of a sudden they throw maybe a glass against the wall, almost hitting you. That instills fear. So intimidation. So the survivor stays in that relationship because of an unspoken fear. Uh, using children. Uh, many times the abuser will tell the victim survivor that if you leave me, that I will get full custody or I'm not going to work. And time and time again, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this, where the abuser may actually stop working. And maybe if they do work, they get paid, quote unquote, under the table so that they don't have to pay child support. They do that so that what? The victim survivor will come back to them. So using children. Uh, economic abuse. What we know is that 99% of all survivors of domestic violence experience economic abuse. So what does economic abuse look like? It means that for that person who maybe makes $50,000, $100,000 a year, that they may only see 10% of that pay because what? Their partner has their check direct deposited to their account and they're given an allowance. And yes, in 2021, it does happen. Uh, it could look like your partner opening up credit cards in your name. So you think you have an 800 credit score when you finally leave the abuser and try to go out on your own to get your own apartment, get your utilities hooked up. You find out that you have a credit score of 350. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, who else 
knows your social security number, probably knows your passwords, your partner. Because again, domestic violence is about intimate partner violence. So that is a form of economic abuse as well. Uh, male privilege, and this will was created in 1984. And so definitely when we talk about uh, domestic violence, it is predominantly about men's violence against women. Are men abused? Most definitely, most definitely. However, male privilege is the whole idea that, um, and many times society reinforces this. I remember uh, the first uh, client that I worked with in 1996, she was a young woman, about 25, had two children under the age of four, I believe. And she had left her partner. It had become physical and she ended up in this shelter. And as I was working with her to help her find a job, uh, she had never worked because he had not allowed her to work outside the house. Again, that's isolation and the economic abuse. And so she said, Ms. Jenkins, I, you know, I've been trying to find a job and I can't find anything. I have no work experience. I have only a high school diploma. Uh, and she goes, I don't know what I'm going to do. She says, the only jobs that I have been getting calls back on are going to either be in fast food or retail. And I said, okay. I said, that's a start. And she says, well, the only problem with that is that because I'm just being hired, that I'm being asked to work the closing shift, get off work until like 10. Well, that was fine too. However, the shelter that we were, that I was working in, we provided childcare. However, childcare ended at seven o'clock as most childcare centers do. And so, you know, trying to help her brainstorm. And finally I said, well, your mother, I said, your mother or your father, I said, would they be able to provide childcare? And she goes, I'm not sure. And I said, well, why don't you ask them? And so she came back a couple of days later and she looked at me and she was in tears and she said, I'm gonna to have to go back to him. And I said, so tell me a little bit more about that. She said, Ms. Jenkins, my mom says she can't watch my children. Now, you may be thinking, well, what mother wouldn't watch her grandchildren so her daughter could go out and work? Well, her mother, I believe, loved her daughter very much. However, what her mother told her was that, look, you are married to a man. He has a good job. He has good benefits. You live in a beautiful two-story brick home. You're driving a luxury SUV. If you leave him, Someone else will live in that house. Someone else will drive that car. You've just got to learn how not to make him angry. That's just the way marriage is. Supporting male privilege. And that still exists today in 2021. So male privilege. So why does she not leave? Because society is saying is that if you have a male partner who is taking care of you, then you should stay and just learn how not to make them angry. Now, the flip side of male privilege is what we call decision-making privilege, recognizing that there are women who are also abusive and want power and control in relationships. And that usually happens when she may have significant, maybe significantly older than him, or she makes more money. So basically she's taking on that patriarchal role in the family. So that is that. And then there is what we call coercion and threats, coercion and threats. And that's when the abuser says things like, well, if you leave me, I'm going to kill you. If you leave me, I'm going to kill the dog. And I'm here in Texas. And so we uh, have adopted laws around getting orders of protection that protect pets. Why? Because we were finding that Pets were at risk because that was part of that coercion and threats that if you leave me, I'm going to I'm going to kill the dog. I'm going to kill the parakeet, things of that nature. Also, 
again, who knows the most about you? Your intimate partner. So your intimate partner knows that maybe if you embezzled money from the company or you stole money or whatever the case may be. And so they may come at you and say, well, if you leave me, I'm going to call your boss and tell him that you did X, Y, Z. Or, you know, I'm going to tell your family. I'm going to uh, send videos about our most intimate encounters. And I bet they didn't think you did stuff like that. So that's also a form of coercion. So why does she stay? Why does he stay? Because they are afraid because the abuser has information on them that would probably, they would almost literally die of embarrassment about. But the number one is when someone is told that if you leave me, I will kill you. And that is huge. That is huge. Because here in Texas, uh, from our 2020 report from the Texas Council on Family Violence, what we know is that there were 228 homicides related to domestic violence in 2020 here in Houston, uh, in, in uh, Texas. And in Houston Harris County, there were 37 homicides last year. And last count for 2021, I believe we're already up to about 27 or 28 homicides related to domestic violence here in Houston and the surrounding Harris County. So that is a kind of a summary of the power and control will and help hopefully helping people to be able to understand or, or comprehend I, she, or he is staying in the relationship. And if you read through this power and control will, and you can simply go to Google and put in power and control will, download it and review it. And what you will notice is that there's no physical abuse in any of these examples. So to me, that is truly domestic violence. That when it gets to the physical, that's a physical assault. But here's the reality is that in many relationships, she or he is staying in that relationship because they don't have a support system. Uh, they Their self-esteem and self-confidence has been uh, basically demolished by the abuser. They're afraid of losing their children. Economically, they may not be able to make it. Uh, they are uh, living by uh, gender socialization rules that say that if you're a woman, then you need to stay put. And that's just kind of the way it is. They are afraid of being killed or they're afraid of their partner killing themselves. So those are many people stay in an abusive relationship. That's right. And what are some ways that you believe individuals can intervene early on to prevent domestic violence from happening in our community? That's a great question, Gigi. Um, at this stage in my career, 26 years in, I am so committed to primary prevention because we have all of these amazing services. And you can say the, the movement got started around 1978. And so here we are about four decades in. Uh, there are some great intervention services. There are some great things that are happening for survivors of domestic violence, especially in the aftermath of this pandemic that we're in. There's all types of great transitional housing programs uh, and, and things of that nature. However, wouldn't it be great if we never had to build or fund another transitional housing program because domestic violence no longer existed? So ways that we can prevent it is looking at gender socialization. And when I talk about gender socialization, I'm simply talking about that for that little girl who was growing up, uh, helping her to understand the power that she has. Uh, in many cases, you know, as, as, as girls are growing up, they are taught that they are to get grow up and get married. And marriage is an amazing thing. I am married. I believe in marriage. I believe it is a great institution. However, apart from does it make you any less? Uh, what I also know, 26 years doing this work for that sector of women who are financially dependent upon their male partner, is that 
encouraging women into STEM careers, science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, so very often what we know is that by the sixth grade, girls are no longer called upon for the most part in their science and math classes. And so encouraging young women to go into careers that will uh, open doors for them to have higher paying salaries. Uh, also with our males, you know, I've done work in the schools with young men. And here's the thing is that I believe that without even intentionally doing it, we actually socialize our men, not to say that we socialize them to be violent. However, we don't socialize them to be in relationship. We reward them for being stoic. We, re we, uh, we reward them for how many sexual conquests they have. And so therefore we create a mindset around power and control. So one way to do primary prevention with that is teaching our young men about, uh, conflict resolution and how to resolve conflict without coming to blows, without having to push someone, shove someone, cuss someone, that there are healthier ways to do conflict resolution. Uh, also, you know, encouraging our young men to be more empathetic. I believe that those are just some strategies in which to do primary prevention. Absolutely amazing. And I agree 100%. Now, can you tell us more about I Am Bold LLC? I am Bold LLC, uh, and it was uh, formerly known as Bold Profession Seminars and Consulting. As I said, I've been in the field of domestic violence for 26 years, and about 12, 14 years ago, uh, doing this work, people started calling upon me to do things outside of the realm of domestic violence, to come in to do leadership training. And so I started my own uh, independent uh, training and consulting company, and most recently changed it to I am Bold, and the BOLD is an acronym for Becoming Self-Aware, owning your actions, leaning in and listening, and developing and nurturing relationships, which is the focal point of emotional intelligence. Uh, I uh, am a certified emotional intelligence practitioner, and I really believe in the EQ. And to me, EQ, in my own words, is basically just good old essential skills and common sense, which seems to have left the room a few generations ago. <laughs> So when we talk about emotional intelligence, we're talking about a set of emotional and social skills that uh, determine how we perceive ourselves, which is self-awareness, how we uh, handle challenges, how we cope with challenges, and how we're able to read other people so that we can have more effective communication and interaction with them, and then developing and nurturing relationships. And so that is how I came up with my acronym. So I am encouraging and through my training and coaching, you know, I'm encouraging people to be bold professionals. I'm encouraging them to be bold law enforcement officers. I just recently did a two-day training with our local uh, sheriff's office and have been doing some ongoing work with them for uh, law enforcement officers, wanting them to be more emotionally intelligent, especially in the um, atmosphere that we're living in. And so when I'm asking people to be bold and encouraging them to be bold and challenging them, I'm challenging them to be self-aware. Know what you bring to the table. Know what your triggers are. Know, uh, you know, learning to be authentic, learning to show up as your best self, knowing yourself. Secondly, by uh, challenging their actions, that's about learning to be resilient. It's about learning to respond versus react. And it's about being optimistic, okay? And it's about not having an amygdala hijack. And I don't know if people know what the amygdala hijack, but in our brain, there's something about the size of an almond. And that's where all of our learning and our memories are associated. Because if I was to ask people about what do you remember about 
9-11 or what did you feel on 9-11? Even though here it is 2021, people will tell you exactly where they were and what they felt. Why? Because that's the amygdala. And many times we associate events. So let's say that if I, uh, here's, here's an example. Many times when your supervisor says, come to my office, what do most people think when the supervisor says, I need you to come to my office? They're in trouble. Exactly. That's the amygdala at work. Because think about it as children, when we were in school, if you went to the office, you didn't get go to the office to get accommodation, right? And right. so your boss says, come see me. And now it's like, like they're going to they're gonna let me go. They're going to furlough me. This pandemic is it's going crazy. I'm not going to be able to send my kids to college. And so you begin to act some kind of way. So you walk into the office already on the defense. Being able to go, let me own my actions. Let me reframe this. Maybe they're going to give me a promotion. Maybe this is something good. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. So that's learning how to own your actions. The third part about leading in and listening, that's about developing the skill of empathy, meeting people where they are. And that's so important. You know, I want to uh, encourage people, especially for those who are in leadership, to consider thinking about a trauma-informed workspace because we've all been traumatized for the last 19 months just in light of everything that's going on around us. And the power of empathy is powerful, powerful. And then that last part, the develop and nurture relationships. That's about embracing embracing different points of view. And I believe that that is something that is a nation that we must, we must come and learn how to do that. That there is more than one way to see an issue. So that's I Am Bold. Great point. And can you tell us more about your book? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, just released, hot off the press, equipped to lead the extraordinary power of emotional intelligence. And uh, co-wrote this book with my mastermind partner, uh, Mike Lejeune. It was actually you know his brainchild. And it is uh, a collection of uh, chapters about, you know, just different um uh, scenarios. And at the end of each chapter, there are questions. So this is actually a workbook. It is a book and a workbook. It's an opportunity to actually do reflection, which is such a big part of emotional intelligence. It's about learning to say, okay, maybe I didn't handle that situation as well as I could have, or man, I did a really good job on that. And how can I amplify that? How can I do more of that? And more importantly, how can I teach my team to do that? So definitely want to encourage you, um, to look into this. So again, it's equipped to lead. Absolutely amazing. Now, can you tell us your why that keeps you going? Oh, wow, Gigi. That's a good question. You know, uh, recently here in Houston, two days ago, there was a story that broke. And I don't know if most people are familiar with it right now. A 15-year-old boy made a call to law enforcement called 911. 15. Uh, when law enforcement got there, what they found was this 15-year-old young man and his 10-year-old brother and 7-year-old brother and the remains of his 9-year-old brother. These four boys, three boys and one corpse, uh, had been in an apartment for the last past year. And I'm trying to figure out how that happens. Um, that and working with survivors and working with service providers Part of my why is, is that I want people to be able to tap in to that part of them that says, I know there's greater. I know there's better. Because my thought and my prayer for that 15-year-old boy, his 10-year-old 
brother and his seven-year-old brother that in spite of the trauma that they've endured for the last 12 months as the world kept going is that they have a greater. For that woman or that man who has lived through an abusive relationship, I want them to know that there is a greater. For that law enforcement officer who goes to call after call after call and thinking, am I making a difference? I want that law enforcement to know, officer to know there is greater. For that healthcare provider who has been with us through these not last 19 months, I want them to know that there is greater. And here's the reality though, is that so many times we get so caught up in surviving, whether we are the profession we've chosen or, or the abuse that we have, have seen or the home that we grew into, that we get so busy surviving that we lose sight of who we are, that self-awareness piece. We begin to allow what has happened to us to define us. So what keeps me going is that I want to encourage people that there is greater and that the greater is you. Amen. And how does your faith have an effect on your life? Everything. Absolutely everything. Um, one of my stand on scriptures is very simply Jeremiah 29 and 11. And I know that no matter what happens to me, that his thoughts, his thoughts are good. And that there's an expected end. And that's hopefully when I am coaching someone, I am leading a training session is that by the end of that session, they know that no matter what I've been through, no matter how hard this job is, no matter what I've seen in my life, that there is greatness. I just have to hang in there. Amen. Hang in there. Very powerful. Now, what is your best advice to the audience for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness? Well, I'll be, I'll be transparent and say I'm still working on that, uh, Gigi. However, I know that what's gotten me to this point in my life is um, recognizing that no matter what I've gone through, that the purpose of it is greater. That because I have made it through uh, relationships that were not the healthiest, because I've made it through a layoff, because I've made it through uh, supervising people that uh, in their mind probably thought they had more education than me, but however, I was the one in the leadership seat, uh, that if you just continue to believe in yourself, and that can be challenging believe in yourself. And here's one thing that I often have uh, coaching clients to do is that I will have them to do a personal audit or a professional audit where they actually go and they write down everything they have achieved. Because sometimes we got to remind ourselves just how great we are. So that's a tip I would leave is do a personal or a professional audit that if you are at a place in your career, you're thinking, well, I just don't know if I have it anymore. I don't know if this if this is what I want to do. Do that professional audit. We lose sight of the things that we have accomplished because, again, we get caught up in surviving versus living. Amen. Very powerful. Believe in yourself. Now, where can the audience find you? Uh, I am on all social media actually on LinkedIn. So just if we put in my name, Thesha Jenkins, and I will come up. Uh, also, my website is ThishaJenkins.com. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Thesha at ThishaJenkins.com. And Thesha, thank you again for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. You have a blessed day. You too. Thank you. You're welcome.